Hey everybody, it's Pastor Dylan. Welcome to the Dayspring Wesleyan Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take the time to download our church app. It's the best way to stay connected to the life of the church. All you have to do is go to your app store and search for Church Center, download and enter the information for our church. You will then be connected to our church community. I hope the following presentation inspires you to move closer to God in this journey we call faith. Enjoy. Now, okay, uh, let's just get into it. What do you say? Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 22, uh, verses 14 through 20 today. And as part of our service, I just thought it was a great way to start the new years and doing communion and celebrating the Lord's Supper together. So, wanted to do a message on that whole thing. Uh, but I don't know about you, but I, how many of you love to eat? I mean, you could tell that I love to eat. I mean, there's just no doubt about it, you know. And Christmas season, even though I've been trying to lose weight, man, that's the hardest season to try to lose weight because they're making all the good things, uh, all the cookies and candies, and, and I love noodles and just the meats and all that stuff. Uh, you guys ready to just close up and go eat now? <laughs> you know, so, uh, but it's, uh, man, just a wonderful uh, time to do that. And it's amazing to me that God created us in the way that we really love to eat. Like, he made it so good and for us, you know, like, it, it, it gets on the taste buds, and you like certain things and you just want more of it and and God made something that was very healthy for us and very functional for us socially as well and so today we want to look at basically because what we have going on in this story is Jesus is sharing a last meal with his disciples but in the midst of all that we recognize that there are sort of three meals going on you see the Bible tells us that God desires to have fellowship with us We were created in order to have fellowship with God. It's always been God's design to have fellowship with his people. And throughout scripture and the history, we see this remarkable sort of situation where God desires to talk with his people, to fellowship with his people, to love his people. Have you ever thought about that? That God wants to be part of your meals. You know, a lot of us do the thing where we say grace before a meal. And it's, you know, it's almost a way of saying, well, I hope this food almost doesn't kill me. You know, because you don't always know who's preparing it for you. But what it simply means is it's our invitation for God to be part of the fellowship that we experience during our time of meals. And how many of you can go back to some of your situations where, you know, for us, and I know that every family's different, not everybody grew up in a great situation, but one of the great things about Sunday for us was it was a time for a family meal. It was where we sat around the table. We had just experienced this thing in church. Then we went home and experienced this time around a table. And we talked, we laughed, we fought, you know. We just did all these things, but there was this time of fellowship. The reason that I love uh, going for Christmas and the Easter and some of those big holidays is because the extended family would get together. And we would share this meal together, but it was the memories. It was the laughs that we would have. It's making fun of one another for something stupid that happened during the year or reminiscing about something that happened in our childhood. It's those times of getting together where we fellowship with one another. Even if you remember when we were doing the the big study on Sunday nights, one of the things I loved about that is people got together and they ate together. And as we eat together, we talk together. And we get to know more about one another. But all through scripture, we have the same thing taking place where God repeatedly devises ways for God and man to share meals and fellowship with each other. For example, we read Genesis 18, how God shared a meal with Abraham before judging Sodom and Gomorrah. Moses and the 70 elders ate a meal in God's presence when God confirmed his covenant with Israel on Mount Sinai in Exodus 24, 11. The Levitical offerings for Israel included what we called a fellowship offering, Leviticus 3. 
The interesting thing about these offerings is the part of the animal was eaten in the sanctuary by the offerer and his family along with the priest as a common meal in God's presence. We read in the Gospels how Jesus ate meals with his disciples and shared a breakfast with them on the beach following his resurrection. You see, our scripture this morning is also a meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, Luke 22, 14 through 20. It's Jesus' last supper with his disciples the night before he was crucified. And you might say, well, why are we focusing on the crucifixion right now? Well, for the last month, we've been focusing on Jesus, the baby. And we've been talking about how a big God became very small to make a big difference in our world. And him going to the cross was the biggest difference that he could make. Why? Because he wanted to have eternal fellowship with his people. And he prepared a way for that to happen. So he sat down with his disciples and he had this meal together. And what we're going to discover that within this meal, there's three meals that we basically read about. First of all, there's the Passover meal from the past. There's the Lord's Supper in which they are partaking in the present. And then there's the wedding supper of the Lamb, which is a meal about the future. So let us focus and let's read together on these passages together. We'll start with Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. When the hour came, Jesus and an apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this moment that we can be together as a church and a family and be fellowshipping with one another. And as we sit here and we listen to your word as it's been read, I pray now that it would enter into our minds and our hearts in such a way that it would be always a reminder of the sacrifice that you made in coming to this earth, everything that you gave up in order to be with us, and then the big difference that you made in our lives. Father, I pray that if there's anything that I say that is wrong or unclear, I pray that you would clean it up in the minds of your people so that the only voice today that they hear is yours. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's first of all start talking about the Passover meal. And so this is a meal from the past, which is what we've been talking about. Um, When we read verse 14 again, it says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And then verse 15, he says, And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Uh, the Passover meal was the most important of all the Jewish meals. Each Jews, had, they would gather together in families, and they would eat this meal together in the presence of God. And the Passover meal, when you think about it, was basically this freedom from slavery. And so if we read, um, it says this, and, and, and this was when God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. He said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. 
I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, which is Exodus 3, 7 through 10. Very interesting to me as I was studying this this week. This is the, um, where I'm at in my devotions. I'm in Exodus right now. I just got through Genesis and working through Exodus. And so as part of this, I've been reading about all that went, took place. And so Moses was asked, and remember, from the burning bush, he was asked to go make an announcement to Pharaoh. The Egyptians had had uh, these slaves, which were the Israelites, which were the Jews at the time. And God had heard their cries. He heard them pleading with him. And God said, look, I've heard the cries long enough, and I'm getting ready to free the people. And he said, Moses, I want you to be the man that takes this declaration to Pharaoh. And Moses said, man, I can't do that. I don't speak well. People are really going to trust me. I don't know if I can even go back to this area. And God became, it says, actually says, God became angry with Moses because he's like, well, who do you think I am? I'm God. I can do anything. And if I've called you to do something, that is what I want you to do. As a matter of fact, I think all of us need to keep that in mind. When God calls us to do something, he's behind it. If we believe that he is all-powerful and almighty, then he's got this. Like There is nothing that we really have to fear. But in our own humanity, we identify with Moses because Moses is scared. He's like, I don't speak well. I don't have these talents. And I know that many of us will come to the same sort of things. You get asked people to do a Bible study, and like, I don't know, I, I'm not very good at that stuff. Man, if God is with you, you can do it. You know, I don't know if I can give up my finances and my offerings because I don't think I have that much to give, and I don't know how I will contribute. Man, if God is with you, he'll get it done. Well, you could say, I don't really have many talents. I mean, there's some people that sing really well, and they speak really well. I don't have any of those gifts. God has given you each a gift, and when he is with you, he will get it done. God said to Moses, I am. That was the declaration that I am everything that you've been talking about, everything that you've been wondering about. I am God. I am he. And God said, I want you to move through this. And so as we have this passage, what's happening then is God's been instructing Moses. He says, look, I want you to go to Pharaoh and, I, and I'm going to give you the strength and I'm going to give you the ability. What's going to happen is this. Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened. And again, I think that's something for all of us to keep in mind. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And God said to Moses, he says, look, I'm going I'm to be with you. There's going to be 10 plagues that will take place. And as each one of them take place, Pharaoh has the opportunity to let the people go. But Pharaoh, we read, his heart continues to become hardened that he doesn't allow the people to go. Instead, he kind of gets a little bit tougher, gets a little bit meaner, gets a little bit rougher with the people. And then we come to the final plague, which is one that sort of blows our mind. But God sent a destroying angel to take the lives of every firstborn male in Egypt. The Passover meal grew out of the tenth and final plague. So Exodus 11.5 tells us then, From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who was at her hand mill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. But as God has done with a number of other plagues, he made a distinction between Egypt and Israel at this point. God instructed the Israelites through Moses that on the 10th day of the month, each man was to take a lamb for his family and for each household. And they were to take a care of the lambs for four days. And then on the 14th day of the month, all the people of Israel would slaughter them at twilight. Then they would take some of the blood of the lambs and they would put it on the door frames. And for some of us, we may not recognize the symbolism, but the way they would put it on the door frames is up top. And on the sides, and for them, that would really make sort of a cross-like shape. 
And they were to put that blood on there. And it says, as the angel of death passed by, if the blood was on the door frames, the angel would pass over and those firstborn children would be saved. And so that night, they said there was a lot of wailing and there was a lot of crying. And it was at that point that Pharaoh's heart, still hardened, said, that's enough. And he let the people free. And I keep thinking to myself, Pharaoh could have avoided all that death, all that misery, all that trouble, if his heart would have been softened. And I sometimes wonder for you and I, do you and I recognize when our heart becomes so hard that we never let other people really speak into it? You know, some of us think that we're so good. We want to give you all of our qualifications. We want to talk about all the things that we do well. We want to talk about our education and all this stuff. But when it comes down to it, has your heart been so hardened that you won't allow God to speak into you? Because he can save you from a lot of misery if you let him. And so God eventually frees the people of Israel. And so when they take this meal together, it's a sign of freedom that they had. Like we were freed from the Egyptians. So every time they took that meal, that was a reminder of the freedom that they had experienced. The Israelites got busy and they obeyed God's command. They prepared the Passover meal as instructed. That night at midnight, God took the lives of the firstborn sons of Egypt. The 10th plague finally broke Pharaoh's stubborn heart and he let the people of Israel go. And that night, Moses and Aaron took the people and they fled the area. All of that pain and suffering could have been avoided if Pharaoh would have softened his heart for just a moment. The second thing about the Passover is this. It's a remembrance of deliverance. And so the original Passover meal marked the time of Israel's freedom from slavery in Egypt. But God also instructed the Israelites to celebrate the Passover every year at the same time, which comes to us from Exodus 12, verses 14 through 20. The annual Passover meal was actually a symbolic remembrance or basically a reenactment of God's deliverance, which took place at the first Passover. They had the bitter herbs... And the bitter herbs were a reminder of the lambs that were sacrificed so that the destroying angel might pass over their homes and spare their firstborn sons. The bread without yeast was a reminder of their hasty departure in the middle of the night. The Passover meal was a wonderful meal in itself, rich with symbolism, testifying to God's mighty power. Most Jewish people and even some Christians still celebrate a lot of this today. So they would do all these things as basically a reminder of what's taking place. I remember when my mom, we were growing up, she, um, uh, she wanted us to know the story of Jesus on the cross and how he tasted vinegar and water at the time. And so she wanted us to taste that vinegar that he experienced on the cross. And I remember tasting that for the first time. I was like, "Woo, man, that is rough, <laughs> you know? And by the way, isn't it interesting how that we can have um, some meals or we can have some smells or some food that they serve as a reminder of something. You know, like every time I smell sort of this sweet smell of a, um, oh man, I'm trying to think what it's called now, but an elephant ear, you know, like that sugar and that nice little smell and then the taste and then it kind of melts in my mouth almost. Like every time I have that, that basically reminds me of like going to Cedar Point because that's when we would have that. And this reminds me of all the fun and excitement that we would have during that time. But there also can serve as sort of some bad reminders as well, right? You know, because you can have certain things like, I'll never forget when I was at Bob Evans once, and this is no put down on Bob Evans or anything, but there was some butter that I had as part of my pancakes. And I don't know if I got sick or whatever that day, but I threw up and I could only taste the butter. And every time I went to Bob Evans, I was like, no on the butter. 
you know, because it always stirred up how sick I was that day. And by the way, some of you today will probably eat sauerkraut. I think you were sick as well, okay? <laughs> that stuff is nasty. I don't care what kind of good luck that's going to bring you, man. That stuff is nasty to me, okay? But those all sort of serve as reminders of things we experience. And so if each of us were to talk, we would probably have certain smells or certain things that we would like that would bring back memories. They would bring back memories of family time. They would bring back memories of suffering. And so when they took this meal together, it was basically a reenactment. But every time they took those things, it was a remembrance of sort of the deliverance that had taken place, that God had basically taken them out of Egypt. And I have to tell you, there are times... There are times when I have meals and there are times that certain situations, certain smells, certain thoughts come back to mind where I remember my own deliverance. And I was thinking about this this morning, but I didn't have this sort of plush, what I call church when I was growing up. Uh, the church I had, had um, there was no air in it. Uh, it was the wooden pews. A matter of fact, sometimes you'd stick your hand on the pew and if it got so warm in there, you might get a little varnish on your arm when you raised it, you know, almost marked that. I was, at, I was at church today, look at this. I got varnish on my arm, you know. Uh, we'd pick up those old hymnals that would have sort of that discolored, you know, sort of stuff on it, and, and you'd pick through, and it had sort of a certain smell to it as well. And then there was the altar that was just in front of the church. No, it was just this wood thing. And again, we didn't have any, like, plush nailing pads or anything like that. You just got down, and you just got to business. But I never forget that smell of that wood as I knelt at the altar. And so every once in a while, when I walk into certain situations and I smell that sort of wood smell, it reminds me of the day that I went to the altar and God delivered me from my sin. And those become remembrances for us. And so how sweet is that, that they continue to practice this meal together over and over? The one thing they didn't probably realize at the time is that this Passover meal that they were experiencing was basically foreshadowing what was going to happen with Christ as well. Because you remember the lamb that was sacrificed, the firstborn, the, the, the best of everything, was the one would end up being what Jesus was as well when he went on that cross for us. So it leads us to the second meal that we celebrate in the, within this context of this story. And that's the Lord's Supper. It's a meal for the present. We call this meal, basically, we either call it the Lord's Supper or we call it communion. And one of the reasons we call it communion is because it's our time to commune with God. It's us taking something, eating it, tasting, touching, feeling, smelling. It's involving all the senses as we come together and we recognize what Christ did for us on the cross. And so when we read this in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 through 20, read this. And Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is being poured out for you. The Passover pointed forward to Christ's death on the cross and freedom from sin. Jesus shared the Passover meal with his disciples and transformed it into a new meal, which we call the Lord's Supper. And we share the Lord's Supper together. We also share communion and fellowship with God. And just as the Passover meal signified Israel, this release or this freedom from slavery, so the Lord's Supper or communion signifies our freedom or our release from sin. Jesus said of the cup of communion in Matthew 26, 28, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many 
for the forgiveness of sins. You see, what Jesus realized right away, and which was a practice in the Old Testament, that they would sacrifice a lamb, and that would be the forgiveness of the sins. And it seemed kind of odd, maybe in our day, but it was what they practiced, and it's what they did. But man, isn't it interesting that the more wealth you had, that the more animals you had, that the easier it would be to get forgiveness? Because then it's about being wealthy. And so I can go out and sin because I know I can sacrifice this animal later. And they were basically just going through the motions. And God said, no more of this. Let's have a once and for all sacrifice. And I will be the lamb. I will be the perfect one. And so God offered his son Jesus on the cross. And as his blood was poured out and as his body was broken, he became that freedom that we needed from sin ourselves. Man, I, I, I just can't get over that part. Because there are times in my own sort of um, guilt and my own shame that I'm, I'm desperately in need of a Savior. There are times that I don't treat people well. There are times that I, I don't respond to my family well. There are mistakes that I make. There's times, sometimes I walk past people that, that, uh, that need help. Or sometimes I get rude with people. There's sometimes I hold grudges. There are times that I gossip or I slander. And I feel that sometimes I get so wrapped up and so entangled in my sin, I just wonder if there's any way out. The scripture tells us that we can become entangled in our sin. It's almost like a fly who gets stuck in this web. And all the web of sin that we have, all the lies and all the mistakes that we have, we just keep twisting and turning. And all of a sudden we realize our sin just continues to get us deeper into a trickier place. And I'm so thankful for a Savior that went on the cross and died for my sins that I could have this freedom or that I could have this release from it. There's so many times I think to myself, boy, I wish I could do this over. I wish I had another chance. And God says, here it is. Jesus went on the cross for you. Why? Because he found worth and he found value in you. And he wanted to free you from that web of sin that you're in. And you can say, Pastor, well, you don't know. You don't know my struggles. You don't know my sins. Man, the cross is enough to cover it all. You want to read about some guys that made mistakes? There's some big guys that made some big mistakes there in the scriptures. You know, you have Paul who was basically saying, you know, let's go murder the Christians. And then later had an encounter with Jesus himself that just changed his life. And he went from making sure that people were killed to almost being threatened himself. Verse 19 and 20 says, This is my body given for you. This cup is the new covenant and the blood that is being poured out. Jesus died on the cross. His body was given for you. His blood was shed for you. And that's the freedom of sin. But it's also the reminder of the debt that Jesus paid. And when I think about it, especially in this Christmas season, Jesus left everything, heaven above, to come down here and live like you and I. And then at the end of his life, he's mocked, he's beat over and over again. The whip that he used on his body, which they say was a cat of nine tails, would basically be these nine sort of leather lashes that they had, and, and that there would sort of be this ball, and they'd have these nine things that would come out. And when they would use those cat of nine tails, on the end of each one of those were basically pottery or clay or nails or spikes or something that as they strapped it across your back, it would basically sort of rip your skin 
open because they, the Romans were masterful at how they treated somebody. But they would beat you to the point where you would almost die. And then they would let you live. And then they would put you on the cross. One of the hardest scenes for me whenever I watched The Passion of the Christ was just something so simple. Probably didn't matter to anybody else. But when I watched The Passion of the Christ, when they took his beaten body with all those cuts and all those bruises and all that stuff that was going on, and when they dragged it across sort of that dust and that gravel, I know it sounds stupid, but all I could think about was when I was a kid and I would have these little dinky cuts or these times when I would slide into a base and I would get those cherries on my legs or I'd cut up my leg and I'd have all that dust and gravel in there and how hard that was to sort of pick out of my skin and, and you know, to wash it was just very rough and tough. And I thought Jesus was beaten beyond, it says, recognition. And then they dragged his body that way. And then they stripped him of everything that he had, put him on a cross. And when Jesus took that bread and he broke it that day, they probably didn't get it. It's not like bread makes like a big sound when you break it. But I bet later when they saw him on the cross and they broke that bread together for the first time, I bet that bread made an echo sound on their ears that reminded them that Jesus' body was in fact broken for them. Why? Because he paid a debt. He paid a debt for us. And I have to tell you, man, I'm so thankful for that debt, but I think sometimes we get sort of used to that experience, don't we? Growing up, we would often play baseball um, and just throw around the ball, hit the ball, whatever. And I can't remember the number of times that we'd have to come in and tell Dad, uh, Dad, we just broke somebody's mirror off their car, you know. And, uh, and, you know, he'd look at us, and then he'd have to take that sort of walk of shame to the other person to tell them that what his kids did and that, you know, he'll pay for it or whatever. But, man, that was great because we could break stuff and he'd have to pay for it, you know. Like, that was a good situation. And then, man, the other day, I was backing out of my garage, going very slow, really, because it was one of those snowy days. The van, you know, with all the cameras on the back, and you got the window in the back, but it was all dirty because of all the snow and dust and stuff. And all of a sudden, I heard a, what sounded like a crunching sound. And I got out, and uh, there was a car that I backed into my driveway. And I thought, oh, man, is there any cameras around, first of all? You know? And uh, whose car is this? And uh, I was relieved to find out it was my brother's car. Uh, I was not relieved that it was his Lexus. Uh, and then I looked at it and thought, didn't do any damage to my vehicle, but his has a hole in it. And I thought to myself, I still wish Dad was paying my debt. You know, this would be a lot easier. But man, I'm thankful for his Savior. They said, Chuck, I know the debt that you owe, but I'm willing to give my body for that debt. I think sometimes we just get used and accustomed to that. And I pray that we would never come to the Lord's table without that thought in mind. That Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. He paid the debt that he didn't know was what I owed. But he paid it on my behalf. And that's the deliverance he offered as well. Jesus said this. He said in Luke twenty-two nineteen. he said, Do this in remembrance of me. So every time that you and I take the elements, every time that we break the bread, every time that we chew on that, we should be thinking about what he went through on the cross. 
And as that body is broken, we need to remember that we live in a broken world and we have broken lives. And every time we take that cup, we need to be reminded that blood is what gives us life. And Jesus didn't just leave us in our brokenness, but he gave us life. And he wants us to live it to the full. And so when you and I, we take that broken bread, we remember that his body was broken, but when we take that blood, we also remember that it was his way of loving and forgiving us and giving us a way out. The last supper that we have is this, and is the wedding supper of the Lamb, a meal in the future. And I want to tell you this before I get to this one, but whatever you've been going through, whatever life struggles have, remember when we talked about Emmanuel, God with us? God was with us in the past. He's with you in the present. And this is what I love, because this is the hope that we live on, that he's going to be with us in the future as well. So the last thing that we refer to here is the wedding supper of the Lamb. The Passover meal is for the past. The last supper meal is for the present. The wedding supper of the Lamb is a meal in the future. So look at 22 again. And I want you to read with me verses 16 through 18. It says this, For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. See, we already saw that the Passover in the Old Testament foreshadowed the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. Now, Jesus, during the Passover and the Lord's Supper, he's also then referring to this future event. And this future event is about Jesus' death on the cross it's about the lamb taking our place, and then it's about him returning to us once again and allowing us to be in heaven with him. So we look and we read about the supper of the lamb in Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9. It says this, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So I love this because what we have here now is happening is we're talking about future events. If God has been with us in the past and he's with us in the present, then when he talks about coming back for us and giving us heaven, he's talking about the future as well. And he's talking about it as a wedding. And he says, let us rejoice. And so what that confirms to us is this, is that there is going to be a freedom from sadness. So all this stuff that you're experiencing in life, all these struggles, all these trials that you have, if you've asked Christ into your life, what you have been guaranteed is heaven. We often say, and this too will pass. And that's true. All the things that we are experiencing are very minute when compared to eternity. The problem for us is we think of everything here and now. We almost don't even see the bigger picture of what eternity is all about. And he says in this, there will be no sadness because we will be rejoicing with one another because there will be this freedom from this pain. There will be no more disease. There will be no more crying. There will be no more slander. It's where we're going to be with him in heaven. And then secondly, it's also the realization of God's plan. And so Revelations 21.3 says this, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Man, that's right from the Old Testament as well. When he was with the Israelites, he said, I am your God, you are my people, 
I will be with you. He says, I'm a jealous God. I want your love and attention. And then at the end, he says this, and you will be his people. See, this whole Bible, this whole love story, everything that's happening in creation is God's way of getting your attention and being with you. It's about having fellowship with you from beginning to end. But you and I need to make a decision. Do we accept him as our Savior or not? Probably many of you today have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But some of you haven't. And I want to extend that opportunity to you as well. The God who was with the people in the past and freed them from their slavery is the same God that was with us in our present who freed us from our sin. And it's the same God who's going to free us from our sadness at the end. And all you need to do is be willing to say, Jesus, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I'm in need of a Savior. And I know that your body was broken for me. And I know that your blood is what gives me life. And so would you come and live in my heart and be with me forever? Church, today, I want us to celebrate communion together. Some of you, this may be your first step to understanding God's grace. And I want you to know this. We practice what we call open communion here, which means you don't have to be a member of the church in order to have communion with us. But today, um, I'm going to have my wife and uh, Sonia, they're going to play and sing a song um, for this morning. And as they're playing the song, I want you to just reflect on a moment of everything that Christ went through. And I want you to think about your own life personally. And I want you to look at the words on the screen as, as uh, my wife singing. Once again, thanks for listening. If you are in the Marion area, we would love to engage with you at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fantastic children and student ministries, visit us at dayspringwesleyan.org. That's dayspringwesleyan.org.